really excited, man. I'm really pumped for, for today's conversation. I think it's gonna be really cool. And uh, the story that comes to my mind as we're introducing this conversation, if you can think back to a time when you were younger and because there's now children in our gathering, I'm gonna stay really vague, but I think you'll pick up on what I'm saying. When you were younger, you were taught to, to believe in some mythical creatures that around certain moments of the calendar, they'd come hang and bring things through a certain entrance point of your house. Remember who I'm talking about? <laughs> and I remember as a kid, even as like a six or seven year old, I kind of knew that some things were probably just too good to be true, you know? But I don't know if you ever went through this, but on a specific night before a specific day of the year, I remember I'd look out my window and I'd muster up enough courage enough faith, enough foolishness for about three minutes, I'd believe if I'll watch long enough, I'm gonna see the, the thing happen, <laughs> right? I'm gonna watch it happen on the roof. Like I'm gonna see it, that's probably too much detail. Okay, gotta avoid, I'm really trying to be careful here. But I remember, I remember that, that just for a time, I was able to, to muster up enough belief. I thought it would happen. I thought I'd see it and go, oh my gosh, my parents were actually telling me the truth. There's this person, that's this thing that happens. And, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I look back now and part of me wants to go, I can't believe, I, like there was a three minute moment where I could be stupid enough to believe that could happen because what a ridiculous notion. I mean, that's just a lot of ground to cover in one night, right? Uh, but I also look back and go, what a sweet kid. What a sweet heart that went, maybe. In fact, open the blinds. I'm just gonna watch for just, just in case talking to my teddy bear, just in case he's going to come, you know. I believe that, that as we've grown up as kids, as we've grown into adults, we can all look back on moments where we believed in something that was probably just too good to be true. And eventually we experienced enough of the world where we realized, oh, what a sweet, foolish, stupid kid I was to believe these things. And, you know, we can all think about that in that context and go, that was kind of funny, that is kind of foolish. But what I felt in my heart for a conversation that we're going to have today we're gonna talk about prayer and intimacy with God and this access that's available, that God is actually real, that you can, that you can, act, you can actually like experience his presence, that you can like live with God. And what I felt in my heart was like some heartbreak for us because just like we look back on that kid and go, oh man, what a sweet kid, but what a fool. I think some of us experience things that we go, man, I remember when I used to believe that God was for me. I remember when I used to think God was real, that, that, that God would actually meet me in a place. What a sweet, foolish, stupid kid I was. But we've had experiences in life, in church, around people that say they know God. We've had things that we've done, things that have been done to us, experiences that we've been through. And they just convinced us that it's just like everything else that was too good to be true. That when we believed it, now, what a sweet moment. I wish we could go back and be that naive again to just believe in something so sweet. But this morning, I, I wanna tell you, uh, I'm gonna stand here um, both resonating with the, the crippling doubt that can happen when you're trying to like love God with all your heart and believe that he's for you. But I'm also gonna stand here with boldness and experience and faith telling you that the things that you think are too good to be true about God are not too good to be true. They're actually real. And that intimacy with God is actually available. That you can know God and that you can come into his presence and that you will hear from his voice, that he will speak and that you can talk back 
and that you can have a relationship. And it's gonna take courage and boldness for all of us, but I'm not just gonna come up here and proclaim a truth that you can know God. Um, Our church is gonna introduce an on-ramp. We're gonna invite you into something tangible that you can choose or not choose to step into, where you can walk with people who love God, that are walking with God, who love you, and you can experience and step into the presence of God. And I'm just saying it with all of us, just like when you're cliff jumping and you have to hold your breath and just finally jump off the rock, that's the only way to do it. Today, we're gonna cliff jump together, all right? I'm with you in the doubts and the skepticism, and hopefully you can be with me in some of the faith and the boldness I'm gonna proclaim and the promises of God and that they're actually true. I believe God wants to give us his presence. I believe that he wants us to know him. I believe you are made to know God. Like for real, 100% authentic, true, you are made to understand and to experience situations where you realize God is speaking to me and he loves me and he is with me, all right? Yeah, so um, I'll get into what this is gonna look like practically in a little bit. Right now, I wanna invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter three. We're gonna start in verses 12 and read through verse 16. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, which you can grab from the communion table, um, that's on page 561. If you resonated at all with what I've said about how hard it is to believe that God can actually be for you, that his presence is actually available, believe it or not, you're not the first person to struggle with this. We're not the first generation to struggle with the notion that God's presence is readily and actively available. And we're gonna read a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul's gonna actually address a people that although they want God, they believe in God, they, they think they love God, they're having a hard time accepting the access that is actually available for free to them at this point in time in their life. All right, we're gonna read a passage. Out of, uh, uh, we're gonna read verses 12 through 16, and then I'll give us a, a brief uh, amount of context, hopefully to help us understand what's taking place. This is the Apostle Paul. Verse 12, chapter three. Since we have uh, such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Okay, a lot of that language, low key, probably confusing. and I wanna hopefully give us some context that helps us understand what's going on here, okay? So Paul is talking about um, the Israelites, all right? This people of faith, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know in the Old Testament that the Israelites are like God's chosen people, right? That they are God's chosen people, his hand has been with them. And he's talking about uh, this, this situation with this like veil language, you see in verse 13. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. And I wanna talk for a little bit about this, this concept of a veil, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna go super deep because I'm I'm trying to move us into something. So if you have questions about it, I can give you some context afterward as well. But basically, Moses, the OG from the Old Testament, all right, wrote a lot of the books of the Bible in the Old Testament. I think the first five, right? Isn't that true? First five, Moses, Cody? Yeah, my reference, thank you. Uh, Yeah, so Moses, this leader of the Israelites, 
If you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments, like uh, I think most of us have probably heard about that, no matter how familiar with like Christianity we are, the Ten Commandments are a pretty popular thing. Moses would go up this mountain and he would enter into the presence of God and he would encounter the presence of God. And weird thing, when he'd come back down the mountain, it said that his face would shine. Like picture the flashlight app, but via your face, right? Just like light shining. I don't know what that looked like. Probably pretty creepy, but also glorious, right? And Moses would have to cover his face when he was walking and about to be in the midst of the people. Now, why would he have to do that, all right? It's twofold. One, the glory of God was something, for whatever reason in the Old Testament, only particular people could handle. Because of sin, because of unrighteousness, common people could not just freely walk in to the presence of God. It was too powerful, too glorious. People died when they entered into the unfiltered presence of God with sinful hearts. That's just what would happen. So Moses covers his face. And secondly, interesting component here, the glory that was shining in Moses's face was fading. It would not last. So unless Moses kept venturing back up and down the mountain, like that glory was fading and he didn't want the Israelites to see that this glory that was shining through his face would eventually come to an end as he wasn't in the presence of God directly any longer. So there was this idea that people couldn't handle the glory of God because of their sin and unrighteousness and that that glory that was shining in Moses's face uh, would eventually fade. And this veil language, this veil over the face is actually pretty familiar beyond just that specific story. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the temple place, there was this place called the Holy of Holies where a high priest whose job it was to, to come into the presence of God would go through this curtain, only him. And there's like history of some high priest going in there with an unrighteous heart and just dropping dead. Like that, that's how powerful the presence of God was. So this high priest would go through this curtain and on behalf of all the people, like seek the face of God. But there was a curtain, there was a clear dividing line, all right? that told common people, this is where your intimacy with God ends, right here, this curtain. Like, you don't get to go beyond this, right? Someone gets to do that for you, but it's not you, okay? Something really powerful happens, though. Jesus's life changes all of that entirely. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Before Jesus, no one could really come to the Father. But Jesus dies on the cross, and in Matthew 27, 51, I wanna read this. It says, and Jesus cried out again on the cross with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Verse 51 says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. There's this moment where when Jesus gives up his life for the sake of the world, the curtain, the symbol that said, you can only get so close to God was torn in two, no longer. Like literal curtain torn, but metaphor, like you can freely enter the presence of God. 
It's all for you. This VIP room has been opened up and we are all now VIP, right? This is great. You're no longer on the guest list. You're no longer an observer. You can be an experiencer. I don't think, that's not a word. You can experience the presence of God. This thing that told you you can't get that close to Jesus is now gone because in Jesus, you can be as close to God as you could ever imagine. But do you wanna hear something kind of tragic and shameful? It says, Paul's writing this letter fully aware of what Jesus has accomplished. Look back at verses 14 and 15 in 2 Corinthians chapter three. He says, these Israelites, they've heard this story, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And it's a shameful, sad moment where he says, although this is available, although access to God is readily available, when the Israelites read this, because of their experience, because of their belief system, because of probably a lot of things informing this, they can't receive this news, that you can just access God, which is so tragic. So they still live with this kind of veiled mentality. This is where I think we can relate to the Israelites so, so well. Although, most of us probably don't believe in a literal veil. Some of us might, but most of us probably don't believe in a literal veil that keeps us from God. I believe the enemy's greatest work is to convince us that there is a veil, that there are things that separate you from God. As fun as it is to come up here and go, man, God loves you. He's so good and sweet. And he made you on purpose with purpose. And we're all like, man, that feels good. The enemy's greatest work is to go, yeah, but this. Yeah, but this thing is the reason it's not real. This thing is the reason you can't fully enter in to the presence of God. And I'm not going to cover this in its entirety, but I think there are some things in our lives right here, right now, that keep us from stepping into the truth and relating so well to the Israelites, who although they'd heard the truth from Jesus' mouth himself, although they'd seen the truth on display in Jesus' resurrected body, something told them there was still a veil. Their mind was still hardened. Their hearts could not accept the free gift that has been offered to them. So for us, while it's not a veil, I believe it comes down to things that we've done, to things that have been done to us, to things we've experienced that convince us that this free access to God's presence, that the intimacy that God offers is simply too good to be true, all right? So first, I think it's some things that we've done have planted seeds in our hearts that tell us we can't access God, all right? That word sin that you often hear in like Christian circles, that's a good word for some things that we have done that created a distance between us and God and the enemy might've convinced us that that distance cannot be made up again right? Sin is, is things that we're responsible for, things that we have done. Just like if I wrong my brother or my sister, if I do something to hurt your feelings, there is this awkward separation. And until we do something about it, we're going to feel that awkwardness every time we walk in the same room. You know what I mean? It's, this is a pretty easy concept. In the same way, sin does this in our lives with Jesus. The darkness of our hearts, the things that we long for, that scripture says, don't long for those things. They're not going to help you out. They're going to create distance. They put this distance between us and God. And there's, there's some sins that you have done that you can go, I'm so ashamed of that. Like I'm embarrassed by that. I'm broken by that. There's some things that we have done 
that we haven't allowed Jesus to deal with, and the enemy has convinced us that our own sins have prevented us from being able to actually have rightness with God. And some of us go, you don't understand the depth of my sin life. There's nothing I can do. Like, there's just nothing I can do to reverse this. It's too ugly. I hear you, sweet Christian man, and you're quote unquote sinful living, but my sins, they outrun the grace of God. The enemy has convinced us that that's true, okay? Then there's things that are done to us that we didn't ask for, that we didn't deserve, we didn't go searching for. Some things have been done to us, right? There's things like betrayal and rejection in the family home, like one of our parents or both of our parents abandoned us or left us. Best friends have broken trust and left us in the dust and they've made us believe something about God and how he views us. Some of us have experienced betrayal and rejection all of our life and so the notion that there's this God who will never leave or never forsake. It's just like ridiculous. It's silliness, right? We can't relate to that. Some of us have experienced abuse, physical, sexual, mental, spiritual, emotional. Some of us have had lives of like pain. You did not go looking for it. You did not ask for it. You did not deserve it in any way, but it came and found you. And it has formed some false narratives. It's planted some seeds in how God views you because people that you loved and trusted or were at least supposed to love and trust came and completely broke your trust. And they violated you and they created narratives about how God must view you if that's how people you love are gonna treat you, right? Some of us have experienced death, injury, pain, like in our own bodies and in close family and close friends. And it's left us wrestling and asking questions that God just can't seem to resolve in our hearts. And there's just been a gap created that prevents us from being able to enter into the presence of God. And sometimes it's just our experiences. And again, I did not just cover all the reasons, right? That's not my attempt, that's impossible. But some of us have had experiences, life experiences where just over time, life just kind of proved to us for whatever reason that God's just not in it. He's just not available, it's just a thing that certain people do so that they can cope with the troubles of their life in an easier fashion. Just makes it easy for some people, but it's not for me. I don't believe in lies just to make myself feel better, right? Life experience has just told us that. But today, I wanna stand here and tell you that these are actually lies. The things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, the life experience you had that is testifying to the distance between you and God or even the existence of God is actually false. It's not Real. John 8, 44 says that the enemy will speak out of his own character. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a genius and master creator of deceit. He is a professional at getting you to believe something about yourself, about God, how you view God, how God views you. He is a professional at getting you to believe the wrong things. Jesus says that's kind of what we're up against. We have a real enemy that seeks that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He is not sympathetic. But verses 16 through 18 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil, don't get it mistaken, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There it is. That's the truth. Where the spirit is, of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
man, the last thing I wanna do is get up here and just like preach excited and boldly about, hey, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, all right? So just go get it, all right? Go get freedom. Let me know next week how epic it was when you got freedom in the spirit of the Lord, right? But so often that's where this conversation ends. It's like, man, that was a good word. Can you imagine if that was real? <laughs> that would be crazy, <laughs> right? That's where it can stop for us. It's just like some good word that moves our hearts and goes, man, that's a great story that just like, man, I almost cried there. Just think about how sweet that would be. What if it was real? And I think we as a church and our leadership realize like, man, it's one thing to get up here and to proclaim the promises of God and, and the freedom that you can experience when you have intimacy with his Holy Spirit. But we don't wanna leave it at theory or a nice thought or a fun notion, right? We wanna, as a church, have the opportunity, the invitation to step into something real, all right? So when you came in, you saw this little yellow card and it says freedom prayer. Freedom prayer is something that our church is now going to begin doing to help our family step into the presence of God. We're like, wait, we believe God is real. <laughs> we believe he wants to meet us. Why don't we go after it? Quite literally, why don't we just sit and like seek the presence of God? And so I'm gonna show this video or we're gonna show, Darcy is gonna show this video. Thank you, Darcy, for showing this video about freedom prayer. And then I'm gonna come up and explain a little bit of what's going on. But just know, this is us trying to go, hey, we don't just wanna talk about freedom in the spirit. Um, we wanna go for it. And we wanna like say, no, literally sign up, come hang. We're gonna go for it together. All right, that's what this video is. So let's watch this real quick. All right, um, am, I, check, am I on right now? Am I still on? Okay, I couldn't tell. Um, all right, so this is the introduction into Freedom Prayer. And listen, I just wanna name attention. I love that video, I love all of it. Um, but sometimes we see videos like that and the music is so sweet and nurturing and the promises are so high that we're like, okay, <laughs> thanks for the ad, not interested, right? That just sounds too good to be true. That was all very sweet. Everyone's all smiley and everyone's talking about victory. And I'm just pretty sure that that's too good to be true. So I do wanna name some tensions. One, um, I actually know like all of those people personally. And there's things that you just can't communicate on a three minute video when we're trying to say things. But um, these people like really do walk with the Lord, like just straight up, they're real people. They speak real language. They don't speak like Christianese all their life. Like they, they, they have real things they talk about and they really talk about it. And uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, those people where you're like, okay, I can't even like talk to you because you talk like that, you know? <laughs> That's not those people. Um, but uh, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna um, yeah, I don't wanna make this out to be something it's not. Um, what we're not saying is, hey, you got pain? One session, walk out painless, right? This is not an ad and this is not some weird like hocus pocus, like weird thing, okay? What this is, is us going, hey, if we believe that in the presence of God, there's freedom, let's try to get in the presence of God together. Let's just try that. And it's not saying that you're gonna just have a light switch flip. It is saying that absolutely has happened and could happen. But it's really us just promising, hey, if you wanna walk with God, if you wanna enter into the presence of God and try to hear his voice, we have people who've been through like six months of training every single week who want to come and just pray with you and walk with you. And as I was talking to uh, the pastoral team this morning, or sorry, the response team, <laughs> working on that, <laughs> the response team this morning, um, I, was, I was thinking like, for me, this is such an obvious invitation where I'm like, gosh, if our people would just step in to prayer, like it's very easy. So all of you go sign up. It's very easy, do it, right? But I realized that in my life, I've been to Ethos for like seven years. I've been around guys, that, guys and girls that discipled me and have over and over again, 
sent me invitations to really come in the presence of the Lord. And I've said no like a thousand times, but I've been asked to like 10,000 times, right? And so I've had the chance over time to get used to, to get comfortable with bearing my soul in front of people with the Lord, right? For some of you, this is gonna be your first or like second invitation ever to actually walk into the presence of God as if he's real because he is and, and to actually expect God to do something. And so I wanna acknowledge this is gonna take bravery and courage. But if you've ever wanted to sit with people that you knew loved the Lord and you wanted to cry out to God and walk with people and bring sin and bring wounds and bring pain and bring things that you're wrestling with before the Lord and with people that love you and love the Lord, this is us saying, we wanna provide that door. We wanna provide that step. And so freedom prayer, oh, I need to answer a few questions about freedom prayer, I forgot. I was about to forget it, go to communion. All right, what is freedom prayer? <laughs> that on the screen. Um, so Corey and Jen Barnett, that's uh, one of the families that's, that's on our eldership team. Um, they have been doing freedom prayer um, for 10 years with churches. They've actually been like walking in freedom prayer on their own for like 20 years. And so they came alongside of us, alongside of us and partnered with us to help train all of our people. This was an open email. Whoever wanted to help lead freedom prayer could. They signed up and went through six months of training. So Corey and Jen Barnett are the ones that brought this before our church. Um, it's just basically a team of people that exist to pray with anyone who wants to find freedom and overcome barriers between them and God. Um, we are really intentional about doing whatever scripture says. So um, if it's not in scripture, hopefully you'll never see us doing it. And uh, if there is a moment in freedom prayer where you're praying and you feel like something's out of line, that's always open for discussion. Like this is not gonna be a place where you step in and everyone's like authoritative and like telling you how to pray and what to do. It's like, it's a family thing and, and there's open lines of conversation always. Um, anything that goes on in freedom prayer is confidential. Like this is not something that's gonna create a space for church gossip. So like I brought some real stuff from my heart to a team knowing that they love the Lord and they love me and I can trust them. Um, obviously if there was something like life-threatening or a safety concern, that's where we'd probably have to step in and take steps. But um, any sin, any wounding that you want in that room to just bring before the Lord and people that love God, you can do that, all right? You're safe to do that. Um, who is on the Freedom Prayer team? I've kind of already spoken to that. So we've had a team of people that since February, every week have been training up to help lead these Freedom Prayer sessions, okay? Now listen, prayer is a very relational thing. It's supposed to be an intimate place. So it can feel kind of weird to have like a structure designed for you to like sign up for and step into. But the truth is, if we want things like prayer to become organic and natural and intimate, sometimes you have to go through a quote unquote unorganic step where you go, okay, I'm just gonna step here intentionally at this time with these people and I'm gonna get my prayer life going, all right? I'm gonna start cultivating this intimacy with God. So I just wanna encourage you, if there's things that you're dealing with, if there's things you're walking through that you really wanna bring before the Lord, but you also want wisdom and people praying on your behalf and helping you and guiding you, Freedom Prayer is a great place to start. So you can go to our website, it's on this card. It's ethoschurch.org slash freedomprayer. There's a ton of like frequently asked questions and information about what that is. And you can also sign up there. If you have any questions about what Freedom Prayer is, come holler at me after, okay? Um, all in all, this is an invitation for our church to know there is more to be had in intimacy with God. There is a freedom that will grab hold of us and that we can grab hold of to be had in the presence of God and in prayer. So if this is at all interesting, sign up, get a freedom prayer, get into freedom prayer. So as we go to communion, um, I just wanna invite you, um, three things, sign up for freedom prayer, um, ask God, um, or no, sorry, three things, here we go. Sign up for freedom prayer, Two, during communion, I just ask you to believe that God wants to meet you. 
It's as best you can. Just believe that God actually wants to speak to you right now, right here. And then three, ask God, is there anything keeping me from believing that you wanna meet me? Is there anything, like what's the thing keeping me from going deeper with you, okay? Does that make sense? Um, how, is everyone doing okay? I feel like we were like, excited, like emotional and like, yeah, really feeling it. And then like, okay, now we have like this thing happening. So any reservations, any questions, come holler at me, all right? I think it's gonna be awesome. So I'm gonna pray, we'll take communion. Um, God, thank you so much for this morning. Um, thank you, God, for freedom prayer and, and just this, which is really just a bunch of people who go, we'd love to pray with people and, and listen for the Lord with people. We'd love to walk with people through pain and hurt, knowing that God, that you are the healer, um, that you bring re resurrection, that you bring redemption. Um, God, will you help us just to take steps as a church? Um, in Jesus' name, amen.